Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Yes, we have cued the intense excitement. Man, I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm ready to go. The guest today is an absolute badass. I can't wait to introduce you to him. He's an innovator, an entrepreneur, a growth-minded leader, a sales strategist. Yes, we're going to be diving into that world of sales. And finally, we have a breath of fresh air. There's some innovation going on right now, and there's some changes that need to be happening. We're going to be talking about how tech can really play a part in that. I can't wait to introduce you to him. Co-founder and CEO of Blinks, Fred Melanson, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Glad to be here. Super excited. That's a great intro. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, Feel free to you know make that your wake-up recording in the morning. I'm happy to Will do. usher in a new day. <laughs> well, hey, let me go ahead, and I need to pick this thing up, the long-awaited hammer. It was getting a little dusty in the corner over there, in the holy ground over there. And I need to pick this thing up for you and pass this to you. Here, hold on a second. It's heavy, but I know you work out. Ugh. Okay, here you go. That's what hell of a hammer. Got the hammer? Grab it. Okay, okay. You you got got it? it. Okay. Ooh, that's a one-handed grab it, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, that's powerful. Great and powerful right there. So, dude, take from me, Thor's hammer, smash some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, one thing I want to smash is that product-led growth doesn't equal no sales. I think that's a big one for the space that I'm in. For people who, who don't know, product-led growth is using your product itself as the main driver of acquisitions for your business. So companies like Slack, like Asana, like Zoom are all product-led. And people think that sales are not involved in the product-led motion, that it's just you have signups and then people convert by themselves and they go on your website and they try your product and they convert to, to, to paying customers. But that's not the case. Sales are are crucial to the product line motion and Slack's revenue in 2020, 40% came from sales reps actually hustling and grinding out some revenue. So it's a big one for the space that I'm in. So I, uh, that's my uh, smash. Love that, man. We're, we're getting into great territory here. This is not, this is not the question of should an MQL be a, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's tackle original challenges here. And I love that you're introducing a topic that some people may not be aware of, the idea of product-led growth. And we're saying that it's not magic. <laughs> Thor's hammer is, but product-led yeah. growth isn't. And that it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you don't have to hire a sales team. It doesn't mean that like if you build it, they will come. I think we all know that from marketing content land, that just because you write the blog doesn't mean magic elves at Google will automatically bring you people like yeah. the Pied Piper to your blog post. 87% of all content, this is an Uber flip thing, 87% of all content never even sees a single set of eyeballs other than the author. Like, ugh, that's crazy. So but why, why are people confused about this idea of product-led growth? Are they just not aware? Are they just kind of hear a rumor? What's the thought? Well, I think the, the, main, the main companies that people are aware about and that they're really the flagship are the extremely viral product-led companies. So Calendly, for example. Calendly is a great example because you, as a user, you sign up to Calendly, you send your Calendly link to someone else, they see it, they experience the value, they go on Calendly's website and then they sign up. That's a, 
very like extremely viral loop for acquisition. Uh, but there's a ton of other product-led companies and uh, product-led is, is a, a word that is getting coined a lot more, but it's just starting with your product as the main driver of acquisitions, the main marketing channel. But again, your basic marketing workflows and your original sales workflows still apply. They just apply in a different way. But I think it's an inevitable shift. People want to experience your product before they talk to a human, before they talk to a sales rep. So I think that's why a lot more businesses like Zoom, Asana, Slack, Miro, Notion are adopting the product line Notion, which is let me start with my product. Let me start with the value of my product and then I'll deliver some value to you and uh, we'll, we'll have you convert through a sales rep or through a, a paywall or mechanism in the product directly. Interesting. You know, is, is this part of the bigger problem of, I mean, well, this is kind of a blur, right? Because Calendly is very consumer focused. I mean, I'm sure you could try to get some bulk deals from them, but mostly it's that viral spread and that's fantastic. But yeah, I'm literally paying them like $8 a year or something really silly like that. So you need millions of people to pay your dev team, uh, be able to, yeah. And a lot of signups have to occur for that. Whereas the B2B, that bigger sale, couple deals come in now you've now you've paid your your monthly costs there uh, so, sometimes there's a blur in that now i wonder if this is even like relating to crossing the chasm where you have like the the early adopters the little ones but maybe eventually mid-market's your actual goal not for calendly right because that someone we look at the outliers and we try to make decisions based on them but for a lot of these other products there you're not going to be a viral product or 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 are they or does every product have the ability to be like that What's your that's take? a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that it's it's not necessarily you're either super like consumer, very viral, like Calendly, and that your product led. A lot of B2B companies are product led and you can go into increments. It doesn't have to be like, okay, let me open my product for free and let me build viral loops internally in my product. It can't be just, well, let's open a freemium of our product. Let's give out something for free. Let, let users experience the value of our product and put a paywall instead of having them go through a demo. For some companies that have more friction, um, we see stuff like an interactive demo on the website. That can be a way to, to start your product-led motion without necessarily giving out your product for free or, or for a certain period of time to, to users. So yes, a lot of companies that are B2B, even big companies um, are, are product-led and have a free, a free version Good, good examples of that are, are user pilots, uh, Hugo, uh, great software companies that are, have a higher price point, but still people can go and experience the product either through a free trial or freemium, um, some version of uh, trying out the product for free on, on the website. I love that we're having this conversation. It's so topical right now. I've had conversations lately with people around this that sometimes trials, I guess if they're not done right, man, they can just slow down that B2B sales process. And, and also I feel like there needs to be some kind of aha moment in the trial. Um, and then we're seeing a lot of trials of software where if it's too complicated, you don't know how to get to that aha moment. You're kind of, you're in there and you're like, okay, but what really happened? So I've seen a lot of people turn away from a trial just because the people didn't experience the magic. They didn't have that mint.com like, oh my gosh, I'm paying too much for my my car insurance, I could, you know, switch to Geico. This podcast now sponsored by now. So no. you know, like, 
what do you, what's your take on that? Because like trials can be great if you can get people in there, but if they don't experience that aha moment or something, what, what is it? That's such a great question. And it comes back to the, what I smashed at the beginning, the product growth doesn't equal no sales. Uh, and you're just, you're just hitting the nail there on depending on how your business, how, what your product is, depending on w what's the value that you bring to your customers and the friction that you have to onboard. And depending on your business, you can be fully self-serve and have, I don't know, eight bucks per user per month and people just sign up on your website. Or you can have a product led motion at 10,000 per month uh, and people can still try out your product. But then what you're talking about with the freemium and the free trial is where does it make sense to involve a human to get you to the aha moment? And I think that's the whole concept of product led sales. What our company is enabling as a product is find people that are qualified either through how they engage with your marketing or how they engage with your product and then find the great timings, the contextual like um, opportunities where you can engage with them saying, hey, I see you're three days into our trial, but you haven't connected this software yet. Let, let our sales engineer person help you uh, connect it and, and, and get you set up. So I think that's the, that's the whole misconception of like product like growth is being a Calendly. No, it's you can be a B2B software with some friction to implementation um, and still have sales reps to get involved, but still have a, a really putting your product before. And the reason why, just to, to go on top of that, the reason why I think it's inevitable is because we're seeing some market shifts at the moment. Uh, and the first, the first one is the, the power is switching from the from the seller to the buyer it's not the cio era or the executive era anymore you're not that much dealing with decision makers as much as you would like five or ten years ago users have more power people can go on your website they can try stuff there's g2 there's captera where you can evaluate other solutions so a lot of the awareness process is not done with the salesperson it's done online yourself so i think that's the first that's the first shift the second is the work from home era. So we're, we're now in COVID where most of us working from home, there's hybrid workplaces. So people like experience the value of your product online and they, they, they go through a lot of the awareness phase by reading stuff online, trying out your product referrals. So I think that's why product like growth is, is inevitable. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's, I think why um, it's, it's a really interesting notion. And what you're, what you're saying is super relevant is it's not, it's not either your B2B and you have a sales led, like top down motion or your viral and your Calendly. There's an in between that is really, really powerful. If you look at the highest performing SaaS right now. Interesting. That, that hybrid model, cause sometimes it can be scary being hybrid because then you, you, am I in the offense? I'm in the defense. No, you're special teams you're like kind of in the middle you're this weird thing right over in the football at some point but like yeah it'd be great to just say hey no we're we're big app um question for you around this how does this play into implementations like that traditional model of you buy the thing you go through the process maybe no you can't see a demo no you can't do a trial but oh you can see a demo for sure but you can't like get in there because maybe you won't understand it when you get in there so you buy the thing and then we do an implementation with you. We, we school you up and we help you set it up. It sounds like this is a new model where instead of 
it's, that seems almost like waterfall where we're like doing the sale, stop, implementation, start. You're saying get them in there early, but sales is still having a conversation. Yep. Are those again, opposed to each other or is it just a new way of doing it? Not necessarily. It's just um, coming back to what you said, it's not necessarily waterfall. It's more like, okay, my user or my potential buyer um, or the person that I want to provide value to uh, through my software is the driver of the car. And the role of the sales rep or the role of the marketer or the role of anyone in your company trying to trying to drive that sale is to be the passenger, to be like the the co-pilot of I'm working alongside you and what are your objectives and I'm going to help you get get there. And that, that can be via a bottom-up acquisition funnel or, or top-down, but there's some product-led notions that you can integrate into that process that make it more valuable for the end user. And that's the whole point is, is okay, I'm trying, to, my goal is to, for you to become a paid customer, but how can I deliver as much value to you before that, either through content, through a free version of my product, through consultative sessions. Uh, I think consultative sales is um, more and more popular with products like growth. So how can I deliver as much value to the user so that I'm closer, I'm closest possible to the aha moment. And then the sale is super easy because if you ha you've already experienced the value of my product, you've seen content, you've, I've communicated to you with other companies are doing uh, and 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 um, having success with with my product, well, the sale becomes way more easy. It's not necessarily I'm trying to convince you of the value; is you already experience and understand the value. And now let me let me show you how we can unlock even more, how we can expand you, how can we uh, get you to another layer of of uh, of success with the product. So I think that some mechanisms are are changing. We can go deeper, but uh, yeah. You know, I'm not, I love the, it just seems like a, a better way of selling to say, you know, let me be the passenger, but God, I don't know any VP of sales. that's going to be like, oh, oh, did your, did your prospect want to drive to Viagra, Niagara Falls, it's almost Viagra Falls, Niagara Falls, instead of, um, you know, wherever, oh, do they want to go somewhere else? That's, oh, they don't want to close till next year. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, it's like, no. No, we're in the driver's seat and we're going to get going. Like, let's go. So how, how do you, is it just yeah. a new generation of sales or can you, can you survive as a sales rep or a sales leader allowing your prospect to be in control? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. Um, I think because of where the market is going and the new realities, you kind of have to work with them. The fact that people can can go through the the awareness phase and and experience um, content or other products before they talk to you, but I I get your point though. Your, your sales reps want to close deals, they want to beat quota, they want to like VP sales want to reach targets. But I think if you think if you think about medium to long term and the 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 value towards your user, that's what creates the most revenue growth long term. So yes, I agree. And there's a way to drive outbound and to be super sales-led top-down and still have a product-led motion. Lemlist is a great example, zero to 10 million in three years, uh, and they've combined both. Um, but at the same time, if you look at the major, the highest growing SaaS companies right now, 
they're, they're product led. They're not driving like outbound necessarily. So I, I get your point and I think it's a super relevant one, but if you look, if we look at technically what like concretely, what drives more revenue growth, it seems to be a, a mix of let, let me give you an experience of my product and then try to drive the sale. Also doing it that way means you don't, your costs are way lower because you don't have, you don't need to hire as many sales reps. You don't need to hire as many humans internally because most users just go to your website. They try your product. They convert for free. Uh, they convert by themselves. Sorry. Um, so the, yeah, that's an interesting one. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with you that the, the tech side, you know, it really is necessary here because if you're going to invest in someone pre-sale, and then you have a lot of tire kickers, you, you can't afford to necessarily spend human time as much as you might like on all these folks, um, on all these trials and all that. So you need the tech to try to help you be smarter instead of just blanket, you know, emailing these folks. But if you could listen, like you're saying, the intent and understanding, oh, they're not doing something or they are doing something. I had a conversation the other day about an implementation and it was like, okay, well, they really need to set this up properly. And some of that needs to be cleaned up before it comes in. And this other thing, they, you know, it's cool that the automated part is cool, but then they have to do a little bit of work themselves. We got to get them to do that. You know, and I could see just a little bit of automation to say, like, we know that if you do, do these two things, you're probably more bought in. Um, but then someone has to show you that aha moment. Someone has to help you see that magic. Unfortunately, and maybe it's because they didn't build it from the get-go to be that consumer product that had an aha moment, you know, in the demo. So seeing a demo or seeing a trial, someone has to still explain it, you know, which is yeah, a challenge. Makes, yeah, but it makes, it still, it makes a lot of sense if you're, if you're, you have a lot of friction to onboarding your product or there's complex implementation or you need someone to get you through that edge. Well, I think embedding some of the, the product-led notions like really prioritizing based on who is engaging the most with your marketing, who's sending you the most buying intent signals. Maybe if you have a free version of your product, who's engaging the most. Um, so I think being hyper-focused so that you generate as much revenue as possible with the internal people that you have um, is, is, is really a notion that, that should be implemented on a lot of B2B companies that we're seeing more and more, like the data side of prioritizing leads and, and prospects and outreach. Um, but again, I agree with you. If, if your software has some friction, there's, there's a hybrid model there. Snowflake, great example. I mean, Snowflake is, it's very high. ACP. What, what they? Software is, uh, Snowflake is a, is a data warehouse software that just went public last year, wow. huge company. So it's a, it's a database software, but people can still experience Snowflake for for free to some degree uh but they're highly sales driven and they do a lot of outbound but still there's some product like growth mechanisms in their go-to-market strategy oh, yeah. top right corner start for free button yeah there you go but it's it's a it's a tool that'll cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars per year and they're highly sales led and they do a lot of outbound and they have a huge sales team so i think it, it's not necessarily what people think of you have to have a product that is like a five bucks per month and then it's fully self-serve. There's a way to do a hybrid. And if you look at Snowflake versus their competitors, they're overperforming. So coming back to like the driver's seat versus passenger seat, well, they've taken 
a hybrid and they're still in the passenger seat, but they're killing it in terms of beating quota and, and revenue growth. They're selling the pat. Yeah. I, and that may, that may be key. I mean, I know a lot of different departments buy in different ways, but I, I think this comes into play as well as certain departments, like, you know, this is the marketing show marketing. We like to try things, right? Let's test it out. Like, I don't know. Is that going to work? I don't know. Let's test it out. We got the budget. So let's try this app. Let's just buy this app. But not all departments are like that. Not all departments are, you know, risk tolerant. So, you know, IT, for instance, finance, there's a lot of departments that, you know, let's check up all, check all the boxes. We can't move fast on this. We got to move slow and deliberate, maybe too slow, arguably, but they buy in different ways. And so, you know, not all two programs are alike and how you sell to marketing is not how necessarily you're going to sell to IT. Um, and, and have you seen that? Like, are there certain departments that, that need to be in something and clicking around versus others? Oh yeah, for sure. Like you said, it's selling to IT, selling to developers is a total different ball game. Um, and there's some, there's some deals, more enterprise deals that you do need to go through five, six, seven decision makers and you need to pass the gatekeeper in IT and you need to go through data engineering and, and a lot of business functions to get approved. Um, but I mean, I think there, there's, there's still things that you can put into place. And I think that's where marketing comes into play. You don't necessarily have to have a free, a free trial or a freemium, but your, your marketing can be very experimental uh, in showing the value of your product or putting some content out there um, and that ties back to account-based marketing to really like get your, get your prospects to the furthest that they can before they talk to a sales rep. So I think that's, that's, that's an interesting use case of, okay, we're selling to someone that's harder to sell to there. There's some barriers of entry. Well, how can we, how can we generate some content or run some marketing experiments? to help them through the awareness process, even before they engage in our sales funnel, before they get the demo, before they, um, before they, they go through discovery and all that stuff. I wonder if do you, do you even limit things so that you control the universe? Cause I know sometimes people when they have trials here, come on in kids. It's like, uh, yeah, but they don't necessarily, they get lost. You know, people see too many options. Maybe just show them one of your nice things, <laughs> guide them through it. Let them have a little aha moment, you know, and then, and then, you know, sell them the rest or something. What's your take on that? Yeah. One, one thing uh, a lot of companies do is they, they'll do like a mini free version of their product or they'll, they'll spin out like one feature that they have in their full platform and give it out for free. Um, I think Moz, um, Moz is like an SEO research tool. Yeah. Um, big, big company in, in the marketing space. And I think they did one free product where they reviewed your, either your content or I don't know, I don't exactly remember what the product is, but on their website, there's a free tool that either a Chrome extension or something free on their website where you can experience some, some subset of features. And then it, it tries to bring you back to the platform or get a demo. So I think that's, that's one thing to your point that the companies do is okay, if we don't want to open up because it's too complicated and people will get lost and they don't know what, what, uh, what they'll be able to do, is there one feature that we can spun out for free to give exposure to our software so that people get, can get used to our brand, to our experience, to our value, 
and then it favors them getting into a demo and it also qualifies them because if, I don't know, if, if they sign up to your free product and you enrich the data and you see that they're in, a, in an industry that's not your ideal customer profile or whatever, like you can, you can prioritize your efforts on the ones that make more sense. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Wild world, man. It's a wild world you're in. <laughs> yeah. It's a complex wild world for sure. Do you, do you get the sense that you're going to be going to any events coming up or even 2022? Any? I don't know. Events? I, I don't know. I was looking forward to a lot of like web-based events. I was looking forward to signal by, by segment. There were faster, I think in person a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're still not as open as you guys in, in Canada. So for listeners, I mean, I was going to say that Canada, yeah, in Montreal, uh, you, yeah. yeah, you guys are a bit more forward in terms of opening events. Um, I wish though, cause I, I love it. Like that's one of my personal favorite part of business is just meeting people in person and engaging. So I yeah. think, yeah, there's good content out there with webinars and stuff, but actual in, in person events, like nothing beats that. What about you? What are you looking up to? In 2022? It's a great question, man. It's a great question. Um, I, I actually was asking, cause I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've, I've gone to some entrepreneurial events, like for EO. I don't know if you know about EO. Entrepreneurs yep. organization. You should definitely check it out. Um, highly recommend it. I'll have to talk offline more about it, but, uh, yeah, cool, cool event there. So lots of, uh, founders and entrepreneurs, um, and to your point, yeah, it's great having those conversations. It's way more than a form fill or a chat. Zoom's great, but nothing like cheersing, you know? Nothing beats an in-person. Yeah, sure. nothing nothing beats it. So I've been doing a couple of those sort of entrepreneurial events, but yeah, I'm really kind of looking at the ecosystem. Previously, I've been so in the Salesforce ecosystem that the, the majority of the events that made sense for me to go to were ones that my company, they were all Salesforce related. So I got in such a silo that I actually don't even know um, what marketing or sales events are even out there. So I'm excited to, to yeah. now be in a position where I can actually go and work with people in multiple marketing events, you know? And so I'm, I'm excited to have that freedom now to explore new places and not just be, you know, worshiping on the Salesforce throne. On Dreamforce. Yeah. Yeah. At Dreamforce, right. It's Dreamforce Dream. and then the world tours. That's all there is. Nothing else exists in your world, but now more things exist for me. So I'm excited to explore that. You know, I think that's the problem is sometimes we get in these like silos, these ecosystem silos of whatever major platform we're using. And it's nice to get out of that every now and then just see what other people are doing. Because you take for granted that if you're with a bunch of other users of HubSpot or Pardot or whatever tool you're using that maybe not everyone knows what that is and not, you know, at that event, everyone does, but some other events, people might be on something completely different and it's really good to kind of get out and expose yourself to that. Yeah. Another like other side of that, that is more online, but I think it's, it's super valuable and helped me a lot is the online communities that are, that have popped up like in the last couple of years and have accelerated with COVID of like just other sales folks or other marketing folks, whether in Facebook groups or in Slack groups or LinkedIn groups could, could be improved, but there's some LinkedIn groups out there, but just groups of, of people, whether on Quora, Reddit, Slack, whatever, um, that just share experiences with, with software and what they're going through and their, their challenges. So I think that's the, that's like the, the flip side of, of that. That's interesting yeah. too, is like, indeed, like some people might not know 
how to use HubSpot and what it's all about and what, what the main features are. But what you know is whether you're HubSpot or Salesforce or Pipedrive or whatever it is, user, you have the same issues. You probably have the same problems. You're probably trying to, trying to improve the same things. So yeah, and the tribal thinking isn't going to help you there. Just because they're on a different CRM or a different platform doesn't mean they're evil. <laughs> they have the same it, problem it, you do. Yeah. 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 Cool, man. What's exciting you about the future? What kind of changes, what kind of things can you see? It's around the corner. Not all of us can see it just yet. It hasn't really surfaced, but changes are, you mentioned a lot of changes are happening, but what kind of things can you see coming that maybe not everyone else can see just yet? I mean, in, in, in the world in general or in software or anywhere, anything, anything where you can see the farthest ahead. Dude, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, with the, with the world in general, I think that with the, with like climate change and, and that I think there'll be like a more collaboration in the world and, and people are going to like work together more because it's inevitable. Like we need to save our planet. Also, I think that it's inevitable that technology will be a big part of solving the climate change problem and, and just like society's problems in general. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that of technology being used in, in like the right way, not necessarily like blast tourists into space, but more like actually like reduce CO2 emissions and stuff like that. So that's something that in the world in general, that I think is inevitable that I'm, that I'm excited about, uh, in terms of, in terms of software, uh, and like the tech space in general, I think that where we're starting to go through now, um, in the product, like growth space and seeing like really putting the user first and the, the experience of the user and. Uh, it's inevitable that people want to experience products before they buy them and that the fastest growing companies will have a product in motion to some degree. Uh, that's related to my space, but I think it's inevitable. I think it's the next, like, if you look at the 1990s, it was the rise of Salesforce, sales led email campaigns, outbound, really like go, go, go hustler sales rep style in the early 2000, 2010, there was a shift with like the marketing led inbound HubSpot came out yeah. a lot, like a, a lot about producing your content and getting people to your site. And I think we're at the third wave, um, which is the product led wave, which is not necessarily sales led. It's not inbound in your content. It's about your product and it's about pe getting people to you via your product. So that's, I mean, I'm biased because our tools in that space, but I think it's inevitable. I see it though. I mean, people, we've been using the Netflixes and the Amazons, things, things that just work, you know, if we log in and it doesn't just work, our patience for that has gotten really thin, you know? Yeah. Would you, would you buy Netflix before you watched an episode for free on the platform? Like, would you buy Netflix before you saw their catalog? Would you like buy Spotify before you tried tried the platform, listened to a few tunes. I don't think so. Like you didn't hear about Netflix from a sales rep. You heard about Netflix from right. word of mouth or like trying it out yourself. So I think that that shift that was already there on the consumer space is shifting to B2B and it's, it's, uh, it's inevitable. The fastest growing companies all have that mentality. 
you know, and I think the challenge to that is what if it's too complicated, you know, not to go in circles, but HubSpot has shown that we'll give everyone a free CRM, you know, and everyone might complain about what you get with a free CRM, but you can't argue with the fact that it's free. And so you yeah, don't need people to show you around. Yeah, it's a good one. It doesn't have to necessarily be free. It's not like, okay, I'm going to open a free trial of my product. I'm going to be product for growth. Like it's, it's, it's more like, how can we think about our strategy in terms of getting people to value bef before we ask for a financial commitment or, of, of any sort and that everything will follow through. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. There's some nuances though. It depends on the nature of your business, whether you're enterprise or SMB and you have a lot of friction to onboard and again sales reps are absolutely crucial they just engage in a different way in a different moments i think you nailed it with that last sentence right i think it really clicked for me the idea of getting people to value before asking for payment and maybe that that's one of the things that's shifting too it's, it's like that spectrum of like where do you ask for money and to your point very beginning you're saying old school seller dominated markets it's like give me the money and then maybe we'll talk about this thing and it keeps shifting to the point where of course all these b2c products wouldn't dream of asking for your money sometimes not even your credit card until you've experienced it for a month and so with those kind of urges and pressures those those business softwares are now you know under the gun to show the value and hey if you can show it fast then you can get the get the payment fast but, and you know what? Yeah. I, I see I see software companies that offer like an experience in their product and they're they're they require no credit card, they require no commitment, and they're com they're tools that cost thousands of dollars every month. But they know that if you experience the value before they ask for a financial commitment, one, your lifetime value as a customer will be way higher. Your chance of churning. So will be way lower. So your retention will be uh, improved. And on the long term, that's what, that's what creates the most revenue growth in, in general. It's way cheaper to retain a paying customer and, and expand uh, an existing paying customer than acquire a new one in terms of cost, cost of acquisition. So, so yeah, there's, there's some debatable like arguments on, on both sides, but I think, uh, I think it's catching up to B2B. Yeah, I think you can't hide your value anymore. You can't allow it to be hidden. You can't, and it's really risky to, you have to require people to dig in and show you that value. And that's tough. Even if the full thing isn't fully revealed without lots of consulting, you know, strategists come in, really reveal that, that, that larger value, but some nugget of something has to be shown early on so that you participate keep going time to yeah. value man time to value that's yeah. change whether that's through a sales rep or through marketing content or through the product it's it's all about time to value and if if you don't compete on that competitors are gonna go on g2 on captera they're gonna ask other people around they're gonna see your competitors and maybe your competitor has a has a freemium or a free trial and they'll just try it out and then the 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 cost of switching will be too high and you'll just lose a customer. So I, I agree with you there. Great point that it's time to value and it doesn't matter who serves it, right? Like, hey, if marketing can get it out that far in advance, cool. With a little calculator, some kind of widget, great. 
sales can do it before, during, or after you've been in the product. Great. Product can do it. Like, Hey, doesn't matter. It's team effort, but somebody somehow, some way needs to show the value so that they'll stick around and do the next step. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like, you know, perhaps then time to value is, is no longer in the hands of one particular department or, you know, or, or is it like, it's not product anymore. They have to create it, but we as a team have to work on how, how can we get this in front of their eyeballs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. And we see with a lot of SaaS companies nowadays, like uh, growth teams that are put in place. Yeah. So they, they support, like they touch on sales, they touch on marketing, they touch on product and they handle just growth in general and revenue growth. Um, so I think that's a great team to, to, um, to own time to time to value and, and just net dollar retention and those like revenue metrics. Uh, but it also enables uh, buy-in on the new way to sell your software, because that's a big part of going product-led. Uh, a lot of companies are like, yes, I see that the highest growing companies are product-led. I want to s- transition from a sales-led to a product-led strategy, but how? And the first step is, is really to get buy-in. So a growth team is a, is a great way to internally re- repurpose your, your structure so that really new growth techniques are or implemented well and people buy into them and it's, it flows through product, through marketing, through sales. Love it, dude. Love it. I want to shift a little bit. I want to go back in time. I, I want, I want to hear about, uh, little Fred days. Take, take me back. Did you always Do know it. you're going to be a founder? You're going to be, you know, building new things, cutting edge stuff to really help out finding time to value and, and connecting sales and products and all these things. Like, did you know you're going to be doing that as, as a kid or? Tell me about it. A little Fred days. Yeah. I mean, uh, if I knew, I don't know if I knew, but I've, I've always been someone that saw problems in, in everything and wanted to, to solve it and, and hustle my way through. Um, I'm someone that didn't really like, like being told what to do when I was, when I was young and always trying to like seeing problems and thinking about ways to solve them. Um, I've always been someone that was good with people. And that loved interacting with people. So I think that was, that was part of it. But I didn't, I, I would say like, to, to be honest, I didn't realize that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and start a business before I actually started one. Uh, because you think like when you're young and you're going through school and, and you think that entrepreneur is kind of a flashy, like s- sexy kind of mythical thing <laughs> that it's like, it's kind of bullshit in a way. Like, oh, this guy says he's an entrepreneur. That's just fucking bullshit. Sorry. Swear you can swear. This is the hardcore marketing show, man. If you can't swear on this show, what can you show, swear on, you know? Oh, there, there you go. There you go. There. So yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's, it felt kind of bullshit. So I, but, but um, when I started Blinks out of college, kind of realized that, okay, that's, that's what I want to do. I, I didn't really fit with, um, so I went to McGill University in, in Montreal. And my story is I had great grades in high school, couldn't go into med school. Uh, chose to go in business, started, started in college in finance and accounting, figured I freaking hated it. Um, and I wasn't <laughs> like, it wasn't necessarily my style. Like I wanted to hustle, hustle things on the side. Um, I, I started college. I was not necessarily going to classes. What I figured was, okay, I don't want to work for a big 
accounting firm or as an investment banker and do the same thing over and over. Yeah. That'd be like, awful. I want to, I want to, well, that'd be high paying, but the, I wouldn't be happy. Um, so, I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to solve, I wanted to solve problems and like shape what's coming in, in the future in some way. And I figured, okay, what's the best way to get there? Like what is actually going to classes and having a great GPA, like the best way to do it? Right. And the answer was no. Uh, okay. So what do I, what do I need then? Um, if I want to build the business, if I want to start a business and I figured I need two things, capital, obviously, uh, which is easier to say than, than to, to find or do, but the most, the number one thing I needed was connections, was to build relationships with people, whether to find investors, to find potential clients, people to get on board with my crazy idea. So an, an interesting like growth hacking way that I, that I found to, to do that was instead of actually being the guy that would go to classes and like study that much. Don't want to say that if you have some college kids listening, but uh, I, I worked in a, I worked in a high-end restaurant downtown Montreal where, where all of the business people would go and eat. And that was one, a, a hell of a college job because I was bartender and it was a great, like great paying job. Um, but it was a great, it was a way for me to meet VPs, CEOs, like partners, a lot of high level business executives that are way more relevant and useful to starting a business than college kids that you're meeting with in, in college. So yeah. that's kind of my, that's kind of my story going through like the four years working there, made some crazy relationships, raised an angel round before I graduated because of those connections. Wow. And found, found the first clients for, for what was Blinks then because we've pivoted um through through the connections there through the relationships so that's kind of uh that's kind of my story started blinks off of uh i still had one semester to go when the first the idea popped up and we started working on it like in a in the like uh dark room in the business faculty and two years and a half later here we are wow wow man and and it's those connections i find that that's i mean that in business, but also in per personal lives, like human connection is just the thing. It makes the world work. It makes business work. It makes life more fun. Um, I mean, that's even why I podcast because I just, I love connecting. And when you learn yeah. from people, you connect with them. And so, wow. But you just, where did the idea come from for Blinks? I mean, for people that don't know, describe like what, what does it do? Yeah, so Blinks is a product-led sales platform. So we we help companies that have bottom-up uh, acquisitions really know which users or which prospects they should focus on to drive the most revenue for the business. That's really what we do. It's based on leads that engage with your marketing content or free users that come into your product and reach certain milestones in your product. We tell your sales teams, hey, focus on these guys, focus on this user, um, and this, this is what you'll, will will generate the more revenue, uh, and the more conversions and expansion revenue as possible. And, and the problem is for companies that have bottom up acquisitions, whether through marketing or through the product itself, there's a ton of leads or signups. There's a shit ton of volume that come in and you need to know which users or which leads do I automate with email campaigns or whatever it is, which users do I just send automation to and they'll, they'll just figure out by themselves and which users or leads do I need to provide a more wide glove experience and I need to handhold. 
and, and what you were talking about earlier of who are the users that I need to really be closer to and for my sales reps to engage if there's more friction to onboard or whatever. So our software, uh, what it does is it plugs into your product data, how people engage your, with your marketing and based on your ideal customer profile and, and milestones in your, in your product, we, we tell your reps like, Hey, this, this account just reached this level. You should focus on them. And here's what they did in your product recently. Here's what they engage with so that reps can send really the right message to the right people at the right time to drive more sales. So that's what a product does. That's cool, man. Quick question on that. Does it somehow balance the, they're, they're interested in you, but also your interest in them. Cause in, you know, in the past, sometimes we're doing lead grading and scoring and, you know, you may have some people who just love your product, but they're a college student doing a paper on it versus yeah. this person, the CTO at this massive company, and he's going to click one thing and that's all you get. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I had a bunch of college kids sign up to, to Blinks. Uh, Did you? <laughs> at, at, fir at first was excited, but realized it's a dot edu. Um, right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we. We match a couple of, of data points and some of them are marketing engagement. So are our leads in your pipeline or our prospects like engaging with your LinkedIn stuff, engage, going to certain pages of your website. The other part is what are they doing in your product? And yeah. the third part is firmographic and demographic information. So for example, if the CEO of, I don't know, if the CEO of Slack signs up to your product, even if he doesn't do anything, you want to reach out to him. Like if the, the CEO of a fortune 500 company signs up to your product or engages with your marketing, you do want to engage no matter what. Um, but, but on the other hand, if someone is a smaller company, maybe just a, a, a less, like a, a lower title, but is crazy about your product and reaches like certain key, key milestones and is close to feature paywalls, but doesn't convert. That's also someone you want to engage with because they'll convert to revenue quickly. Um, so that's what we, that's what people can set up in Blink so that they're notified when like, hey, this super high profile account just signed up or engaged with your, with your marketing, reach out or, or hey, this account is killing it in your product, but they're, they're not converting to paying or they, they could be on a more like a, a higher tier plan. Um, so that's what, that's what we do. That's a great point though. It's a, it's an important one. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about just, you know, getting the right, yeah, using you're you're getting more you're being more efficient with the salespeople's time, right? The human time. You want that to be just focus where it's at. Um and you want to leverage technology so we can maximize the you know the human yeah, brain same time. I mean it's straightforward. Absolutely. We need you tech to do that. Your time and you want to yeah. like sales reps want to know, okay, who do I chase and when and with what? Like they don't want to yeah. go through dashboards. Sales reps don't want to enter data in their CRM. It's like, okay, tell me who I focus on and who do I hunt? Like that's what sales reps want <laughs> to know. Um, so, but, but the thing is being marketing led or product led, it opens up your top of funnel. Yeah. So, so you need that focus. You need technology to help you understand, okay, here are the top 100 accounts. Right. That I'll focus on this week and right. the rest, the rest will just send automated emails. Smart, man. I love it. I love it. Uh, what's the, uh, spell that for everyone too. I mean, we'll put a link in the show notes, but it's B-L-I-I, -I, right? Yeah. B-L-I-I-N-X.com. Blinks. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Shout out to all the folks at Blinks uh, listening now. And hey, I want to ask you a hypothetical question at sure. this point. 
um, see, I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire. And so once Canada chills out a little bit and the borders open up, um, or, or if you come down, you can actually get back, uh, come down, you visit, we get some beers. Well, the borders opened yesterday, I think. Did they? Okay. Yeah. The Canada, the Canadian U S borders, they were open for air travel, but now like you can drive through so I can. Oh, good. Okay. So you, a beer. It's okay. you could actually technically come down at any point now. We'll yeah. get some beers and you can use the time machine. It's just in my backyard. It's covered in a tarp, you know, that kind of thing. So we use this time machine, but it's a special time machine and it, and it goes back and you get to visit yourself after that university, after, after college, right? Um, a couple of days afterward, you know, you just sort of finish that a couple of days after that, what kind of advice do you get to meet yourself? And you get to talk to yourself. What kind of advice would you give yourself knowing all the things you've been through and the challenges you've had and the successes you've had too? I would say for sure, good things take time. Good things take time. That's like a big learning. And I mean, I'm still learning. And I think my answer, if you ask me in five years, will probably change. But um, like some, I always wanted things right away, right now, like with stepping steps and, and really what's the fastest way to get there. And okay, I want this now, I want that now, like I want recognition or whatever, but good things take time. And a mentor of mine told me when I started Blake's, it's going to cost you probably three times more money than you thought. And it's going to take three times as like more, as long as it's going to take three times longer than you expected. And I was like, ah, bullshit. That's just like mentor bullshit, but it's so true. So yeah, good thing, sake time. It's funny, we always have this like go, go, go attitude, you know, that's sort of universal uh, with founders and innovators and you kind of want it tomorrow. And you also wishful thinking usually, you gotta, gotta have, be optimistic, right? Otherwise, why do it in the first place? But it is an interesting reminder that it, it does take time. I mean, what does that do when you think when you think differently that way? Does that, I mean, it doesn't slow you down, but then you just, what? How does that help you? No, but it, I mean, it, it helps in the, the quality of your work that you put out, the quality of your decisions. It's just in general, like building a great company or if you're not building a great company, but listening and, and want to like go up the ranks in your career or get somewhere, like it takes time. It's just hard and it's, it's a marathon. Yes, you need to, to like run fast if you want to make it as a startup or if you want to get to high ranks in your career but it's just like if you're trying to do the marathon while sprinting it's just not going to be good for your health it's just not going to be good for your for your decisions for the amount of work that you do i mean i think society's starting to realize that like self-care and it's not the more hours you work the more value you generate yeah. Um, so I think that's a big, that's a big learning. Cause I was like, ah, fuck it. Um, it's a marathon, but I'll sprint it like <laughs> hell, hell, hell their advice. Uh, but realizing now that like, it's been two years and a half in and I need to, to pace myself in order to make the best decisions in order to be the best leader than I can for my team. And in order to, for the company to succeed, it's not like go, go, go work 20 hours a day. Like, yeah, that's just not how to get there in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Cause you gas out, you injure yourself and now you're, now you're going to be behind, you know, now you do have to take time out if, if you don't, if you don't piece yourself into it and 
ramp up slow and deliberate and intentional. Um, makes total sense, man. Well, I, I would be crazy if I let you get out of here without shifting to a, a familiar topic for both of us, the idea of football. But what is the deal? Did did you Have you been playing football? Is there some sort of encounter where you've been doing this yourself? Before we get into our favorite team, uh, and that, that's not plural, folks. That is a singular team. That is a singular. We have singular. the same team. Before there we you, get into that team, what, what's your what's your experience with, with football? Yeah, we're a big football family. Um, I, I played football since I was 9, 10 years old to, to college level. I was supposed to play college here in, in Canada, but uh, decided to work at the restaurant. What I told you the story about, like my yeah. choices were, was play for the, the university's team or like hustle my way through relationships. And I decided to hustle my way through relationships. Um, but big, yeah, my, my brother, same thing, uh, started young, very young, played through college. Um, my brother's best friend just got drafted by the Washington football team. Uh, wow. It's rare. There's not a lot of Canadian players no. in, in the NFL, uh, but we're a huge football family. Uh, watch it every Sunday. And uh, yeah, big fan of the NCAA too. So I think we got that from our friends in the, in the U.S. And I mean, some, some teams are not that far from, from us in, in Montreal. Like it's a couple hour drive. Is there still a Canadian football league? Yeah. Yeah, it sucks though. Yeah, okay. Freaking sucks. That's, but, I think uh, I've been hearing that. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Of course, let's be straight. Like, even us Canadians like watch the NFL and NCAA a bit more than we. Yeah. Than we watch the CFL. Some do. Um, I think it's more popular in the the west side of Canada, like gotcha. the, um the other provinces. But yeah, there's a there's a league. It's like the it's like the mini league for the NFL. I think. Players that don't get drafted sometimes end up in the CFL. Go there, Europe, or some other place. Yeah, yeah, kind of that style. Yeah, you can still make a good salary, but it's not like millions, of course. Right. You know, and I understand the fans too because it's kind of like Saturday if it's college football day and nobody interesting is playing. Well, just watch it. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 good. It's still good football. Just so good it's football, just yeah. it's just different. It's three three downs. The the uh, field is larger. Why change everyone, a good thing, my friend? Like, dude, come on, everyone. Everyone here is like, when will the CFL wake up that they just need to go with the same rules as the NFL and do the, the exact same thing? Because three downs, there's a lot of punts. There's a lot of special teams because three downs, like, if you run the first down and you don't get anywhere, like you have to pass, and then there's, right. there's less. There's less strategy. There's less pat. Like it's more. I don't know. It, it, there's there's just way too too many punts. Uh, so I yeah, they need to freaking wake up and do four four downs, same size football team, uh, football uh, field. Yeah, you know, I wonder if they did that because they thought, well, maybe a lot of the time they're, they're these small plays that just run for like four yards or something, and so they wanted to like emphasize that, hey, you know, go for it, you know, do a bunch of these long bomb passes because that's what gets crowds fired up. That was maybe the intent. And, but in reality, all they get is, well, spot on, you know, spot all on. you get is like, well, we got to punt it because it's their strategy. Yeah. The intent was, okay, let's focus on more of a pass game and yeah. like, okay, you have two downs to do 10 yards before your punt. So it, like, like, let's freaking throw the ball and it's going to be more exciting. But the result right. is no, there's less first downs. Like, cause you have two downs. So there's less first downs. You punt all the time and it like, there's less points. But it's really? good football though, like not to to shit on on the CFL like for five too minutes. much. Yeah, it's it's good football, but um, 
my my choice remains. Well, honestly, it they're not even in control of it. it whether it's good football or not, like if you don't have a fourth down, like you need, it's funny how much you don't realize you need it until someone takes it away from you. And then, and the only reason the long bombs work is because they thought you were going to run it, you know? So they weren't quite protecting the pass. There's just less strategy. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's just less strategy with, yeah. with three downs because four downs, like you can, like you can, you can do a lot of things. You can even do, like do three runs in a row. You can do a pass or run a pass, whatever. With, with two downs before your, your last down, like if you ru- either run or pass on the first down and it doesn't work, you kind of have to pass on the second right. one. So it, there's, there's just less strategy, I find, than the regular fourth down football. And what's weird about it, though, is I told you I played football from 10 years old to college. From 10 to college in Canada, we play like fourth down Okay. Same, yeah. Like we play regular American football. It's just when we're at college level, it switches to CFL. No. So, college so, yeah. switches to CFL. I didn't know uh, that. College switches to CFL here, but yeah. the the football we played before that is the exact same as you your football. So that that's weird. Like they they just didn't follow through the whole way. Like they they have two levels. They still need to fix. It's so weird, man. That's so weird. I see you. You actually you lucked out going. You know, going the entrepreneurial route, you know, getting those networking relationships in, man, you would have had to deal with third down. Like, you were like, come on. That's probably why. Probably why I stopped. (laughs) No, that's what it is. And that's what it, and that's what did it. It's crazy, man. So, and so with that, we will pay homage to the greatest football team that ever existed, the New England Patriots. Yes. And, yes, sir. People probably uh, hate us right now. Not everyone loves the Patriots. It's okay. I guess I know how the Yankees yeah. feel, you know, because they won all those baseball games. But of course, I, I feel like they won because they bought them, whereas, you know, the Patriots won just because we're good. Yeah, that's the thing about the MLB you know? is a lot of teams won win because they just have more money. But Have you seen that, that, that movie Moneyball? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's fascinating. It's like a true story, too. Just and It hey, is fascinating. And people were just like, yeah, you know, I, I thought the contrast, and this is almost like to tie back even to like, the apps we're talking about and the changes we're seeing in the ecosystem, the the coaches, for people who haven't seen this movie, you should totally see it, but um, the old way of doing baseball scouting was like, oh, his jaw is strong and his legs are tight or or like he's got a, he's got a strong pep in his step when he's off the bat, you know, and people are just saying these like bizarre um, subjective things. Um, but really what the math showed for baseball, it was all about getting on base. So you just wanted people who had a high chance of getting on base and it actually didn't matter if they got walked or if they got there naturally they just got there and that's what you want you didn't need the name didn't need the the home runs all these other things you just need them to get on base um and and they basically changed the name of the game for a lot of people which was fascinating i feel like that's also what belichick not to to come back to the Patriots, oh yeah yeah, people, yeah, yeah hey, Patriots. That. that's all i feel like that's also what belichick did like after after 20, maybe after 2012, 2013, when they started to have a, a, a not so great team and like lose out their all-star players, like the the Super Bowl in 2017 or, or the years around that, they didn't have a great team, but they were so well coached and like you felt like it was so well thought about in terms of the the like composition of the team that they. The last two Patriots Super Bowls, they didn't have all stars. They didn't have like aside from Tom Brady, they right. Like, they, it was a team that, on paper, 
shouldn't have won like a Super Bowl, but they figured it out. So I think there's a there's a link to like there's how people check things yeah. about stuff and and Moneyball. Yeah. But I mean, well, you'll need to get that from him. Yeah, it's almost like you you have the quarterback position covered. You have that handled in some way. And then all the rest of it, it was more about the team. I always liked that though. I always liked that. You know, it was less about like ooh, who runs in first and who's famous and who's... less about the Randy Moss, the receiver that they had before. But like, yeah, if you if you look at the receiver core of Tom Brady in the last like two Super Bowls for the Patriots, like no All Star, not at all. Like yeah. defense, defense, no All Star, but just an overall like great defense that was working well together, really well coached. But like they were under, like it's not like the the Buccaneers right now or like the Kansas City Chiefs that have like freaking the best players stacked. everywhere. Yeah, stacked. Just freaking stacked. It, it was like a, an okay team, but that one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it was it was the team that did it. And I always loved it. Like it, it wasn't the press conferences too. It wasn't the showy thing. It was a real departure. It, and not everyone fit that, right? It was like, what? We don't get to be all saying all sorts of crazy stuff for the press. Nope. Nope, you're like, it was a great game. I can't wait to do come on, on to the next one. Move on to the next. Yeah. On to Philly, you know, or like whatever it is. On to Cincinnati. Yeah. We're just yeah. focusing on Houston. What's your take on the on the new version of them? Are they gonna are they gonna pull it off? I don't the know. New they've guy. spent they've spent like crazy this like in the offseason. They really spent to rebuild rebuild the team. And I think yeah, they're starting to shape up. Uh I like uh like I told you uh in in the previous call we did together. I mean, they won six Super Bowls with the quarterback with a, a first name with three letters and a last name with five letters. They have the same thing now. So it looks pretty good to me. Looks <laughs> good on paper. Three letters, good five letters. Paper. No, but I, I think they're I mean it's a it's a re team rebuilding, but with Belichick, I think it's gonna rebuild faster than expected. Definitely not a Super Bowl this year, but I like what I'm seeing. But what if that's all it really took? Like there's a sort of cosmic leak of you know, antimatter, and all you really need to do was have a quarterback with three letters and then five letters, and then just things clicked in the universe. And that's all you needed. Hey, you know, hey. to, well, to access the appropriate multiverse, you just needed to be with the right quarterback. That's how we know we're losing it toward the end of the show. So with that... <laughs> With that, tell me, where can people connect with you? What social platforms? Throw out the Blinks URLs. We, do we have trials? How, how can we test that out too? Yeah, to, to, to give Blinks a try, they can go to Blinks.com and they can sign up. I We're in beta phase right now, so it's really hand, I handhold every customer. Make sure that you get to success uh, and that we, we really work alongside our, our early customers to get them to the revenue goals they, they want to reach. Um, so you can go to blinks.com, B-L-I-I-N-X.com. And if you want to reach me, uh, Fred at blinks.com, here's my email for everyone, but I'm super active on LinkedIn. So they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I post like every week, three, four times, and they can just DM me. You do, you post a lot. It's great. I actually recommend people all go connect with you. That's how I found you was actually, you had some great comments on a LinkedIn post where sometimes people talk some craziness and you were just like throwing down truth bombs in the comments which uh, I appreciate it. So it was great to finally meet you and connect and learn from you. So thank you very much for being on here. I really enjoyed it, Casey. Thanks for having me and uh, hope your listeners will get value from our conversation. I know they did. And uh, I, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you've learned something and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back, 
I've learned a whole bunch. We've had a great conversation. But if you did learn, share this episode with one person, two people, 300 people, whatever. That's how you show the thought leadership, just getting information in other people's hands. This is fantastic. I can't wait to go implement some of these things and think more about them. Fred, thanks again, man, for being on here. Thanks, Casey. Appreciate it. All right. That's it, guys. I'm excited. This was, oh, God, so good. Great episode. Another one in the books. I'm excited. All right, well, let's get out of here. This has been another episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.